0: Everything that we've talked about, everything that I just like invite you into and all the announcements, the reason this community we call New Life exists uh, is uh, the premise and the premise of this series is this, that we believe that when Jesus showed up on the planet, he came to launch something new, something completely new. He said, I'm going to establish a new gathering, and ultimately we are going to call it the church. He established a new covenant between man and God, a new way of thinking. He came to establish a new approach to God. And during that time, he made some very unique claims about himself, but then he died. And when Jesus was crucified, it showed that he was either a liar or he was a lunatic. But the problem was he rose again. He rose from the dead, which gave credibility to everything. He claimed about God and everything he claimed about himself, everything that he taught, uh, all of this, and that, uh, that uh, he taught that when we die, that that's not the end. Actually, it's a potentially a new beginning for those of you that would put your trust and your faith in me. Uh, but the challenge for his early followers is that what he launched was not a repeat of the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. It wasn't a repeat of 613 laws or even 10 big ones, uh, and it wasn't anchored to a holy place on the planet, a temple. Rather, he gathered all of his followers together uh, before he left the planet. He said, uh, don't build walls. Don't hide. Don't stay here in Jerusalem. We are not starting a new nation or a new localized movement. I want you to go into all of the world, which for the early Jewish followers like this was both shocking and a bit alarming because the whole world, they're all Gentiles and go out there. Yes, I want you to go into all the world. And what is it that you want us to do, Jesus? I want you to help everyone in the world to know about me because there is more to this life than this life. I want you to help people to know that God has done something extraordinary on this planet for all mankind and to teach them that I have their best interest in mind, to teach them to follow me, to teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, especially my big overarching commandment to love one another as I have loved you. And then he left. And for his first century followers, they were essentially left with this resurrection religion. And it was very difficult for them to get their minds around, like, like how, how does this play out? Because now my devotion to God is no longer measured by me going to a building, going to temple, keeping 613 laws. There was no New Testament. Nothing had been written down yet. Yet there, there was this mixed assortment of Jesus' commands and some miracles and some of His teachings, the greatest command being to love one another, and this uh, group of Jewish believers became a large group that included Gentile uh, followers of Jesus. So in this series, we're sort of stepping back in time, and we're looking uh, at five things specifically, not that Jesus actually said to do, but five things He said not to do. And even those, for those that don't yet believe in Jesus, we all actually want to obey these commands, and we wish the people around us could obey these commands. But most of us find it impossible to obey these commands, even though we want to. And we've talked about these over the past few weeks, because Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, here's I, fear not. If, if you're going to be my follower, worry not. If you're going to be my follower, sin not. And last week we we talked about Judge Not, and if you missed any of this series, you really need to go back and listen, because these commands seem so unrealistic, because most of us find ourselves battling fear and battling worry. Most of us make decisions, some of us daily, that are contrary to what God wants for us, and we end up hurting ourselves, hurting people that we know, we create our own regrets, and most of us, it's in our nature to judge other people. But we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, right? That's what we talked about last week. And whether you're a Christian or not, if you missed, do not judge that message. You really need to go back and listen to that. But the thing is, these commands, they just seemed unrealistic until Jesus rose from the dead. And when he did, it put these not commands into a completely different context. And suddenly, his first century followers, they got it. They realized, we can do this. We, we cannot do these not commands. We can do this because we follow and we serve a risen Savior. And if he faced and, and overcame death on our behalf and defeated it, well, we can follow this one who promises to lead us into a completely different life. What do we have to fear? What do we have to worry about? So today, we come to the final unrealistic end commandment, do not doubt. And again, it's, it's like seriously, Jesus, like doubt. Doubt is like worry or fear. You do not just decide to worry or fear, right? It just kind of grabs you. And, and it's the same thing with doubt. Worry, fear, and doubt. They just come out of nowhere, and we wish they would go away. And it's kind of frustrating when somebody just says to us, just don't doubt, don't fear. And even if it's Jesus, it's kind of irritating. And yet throughout the Gospels, Jesus tells his closest followers, do not doubt. And and there's essentially, and this is so important, there's essentially two big categories that cause us to doubt. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, we doubt when we wonder, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it really worth it to follow Jesus? Because following Jesus costs me something. Is it worth it to follow Jesus when I have to give up something, or I'm making sacrifices that other people aren't making, and it seems like their life is just fine. I feel like I'm missing out, and then I begin to doubt. And then you can deal with this at any age, but for many of us, as, as you walk longer as a follower of Jesus, or the older we get, uh, those is it worth it questions begin to shift into, is it true? I wonder, is it, is it is it really true? Did all that stuff really happen? And you can have both kinds of doubts your whole life. But I'll tell you when I have doubt. Because I, it might be shocking to find out, but I have my doubts from time to time. And I find that this is such a big deal. I have doubts when I forget what the, what the foundation of my faith is. I have doubts when I forget the epicenter of why I believe what I believe is, because the epicenter of my faith is Jesus's resurrection from the dead. And the reason the foundation and the epicenter of my faith is Jesus's resurrection from the dead is because multiple witnesses, including his very own brother, documented for us that when Jesus was killed, they faced extraordinary fear and worry and doubt, but all doubt evaporated to the point they were willing to die. For their insistence that they saw him predict and pull off his own death and resurrection. I have doubts when I forget that and I begin to look at circumstances. See, that's, that's all of us. Doubt just reaches up and grabs us when we experience circumstances that are difficult for you or difficult for someone that you love in the world. And you begin to think, is there really a good God? Is Jesus real? Or you're looking at what follow Jesus demands of you and you begin to ask, is it worth it? Is it really worth it to follow Jesus? And if you decide, I'm not sure it's worth it to follow Jesus, then here's where you'll go, I promise. You'll shift your focus from is it worth it to is it true? Because if you can convince yourself it's not true, then you don't have to struggle with is it worth it, right? So here's the great news. One hundred percent of Jesus's first-century followers doubted. All of them, the very men and women who ate and drank and talked with Jesus, doubted. The very men and women who not only witnessed miracles but participated in them doubted. John the Baptist, Jesus's cousin, he shows up in the world. Jesus is uh, he's saying, "Hey." The Savior's on his way. The Messiah is on his way. John is baptizing one day. He sees Jesus. He makes that amazing statement, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This same John gets arrested. He finds himself in prison. He's struggling to see behind the bars, and he begins to ask himself, Is it worth it? Is it true? And he begins to doubt. All 12 of Jesus' disciples, they all doubted. In fact, one betrayed him. And then when Jesus was arrested and killed, the remaining 11 concluded it is not worth it and it obviously cannot be true. And they all ran away and they hid. One of his closest followers, Thomas, got a nickname. What was it? Doubting. Doubting Thomas, like all the way to the very end. He doubted all the way to the very end until he could see and touch the nail marks in Jesus' hands and the spot where Jesus had been stabbed with the spear. Because he just wanted to make sure that I'm not just dreaming, it's not just an illusion, that it can actually be believed, that he's not a ghost. He just doubted it was real. And so hope maybe for some of you, this is just good news. The good news is that Jesus doesn't kick you out because you doubt. Which means that you can have doubt and follow Jesus at the same time. All of his first century followers did this. Most, all of them to the very end. In other words, you don't have to understand everything to believe something. Like, a few weeks ago, I strapped myself into a metal tube and flew from Chicago back here to Wichita, and I understand very little about the physics and the engineering and the mechanics of what made that happen. Now, within our community, we have some really, really smart people that know all the engineering and can describe it to the nth degree. We have people in here that train people to fly those metal tubes, all that. Like, I, and like, I can't, and yet... Understanding so little, I got myself onto a plane believing it would get me back to my beautiful wife, and it did. You don't have to understand everything to believe in something. You don't have to be able to to explain everything to believe in Christianity. You don't have to understand everything about the Old and the New Testament to believe in Christianity or to, to be a follower of Jesus. And for some of you, like, this is good news because you're leaning in, you're, you're liking the people here, maybe you're starting to read the New Testament, maybe you're beginning to pray, you're beginning to see your faith grow a little bit, but you struggle because you feel like, I, I still have questions, I, I still have doubts. So the great news is you can follow Jesus with all of your questions. You can follow Jesus even though all of your doubts are not all worked out. And that's why we say all the time that this is a community where you can belong before you believe because doubt can lead to asking questions and asking questions can lead to greater discovery. And the reason it's crucial to learn how to respond appropriately to doubt is because if you don't, doubt can take you out. Now, the one who knew this firsthand was Peter. Because his doubt almost literally took him out. We talked about this just a few weeks ago. The twelve apostles—they're rowing and rowing across the Sea of Galilee. They're going against a headwind. Jesus decides to take a shortcut. He's walking uh, on the water, and and, you know, some people shut down with the idea of of walking in the water. Okay, it's a miracle, all right. So if you've ever water skied or wakeboarded, we've kind of got it figured out. But it's a miracle. It's not the greatest miracle, right? Like Lazarus—that's a great miracle. Again you predict and pull off your own death resurrection on water, you know resurrection walking on water not that big a deal. So so Jesus he's walking on water and Peter has this moment he sees us he's like Jesus I believe that if you if you invite me to come out there with you I can do what you're doing. Peter Jesus is like, come on out. So so he he goes out and uh, Peter steps out to join him and he he begins to walk on water. And if you grew up in church, then you know what happens next. But this introduces us to Jesus' teaching on the subject of doubt. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out. And this is a great prayer. Lord, save me. Many of us, we we have had moments where we've just prayed something simple like that. God, or Lord, or Jesus, save me. And this is so powerful. Immediately, Jesus reached out and shoved Peter down under the water. (laughs) Like, no. Jesus reached out and caught him. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Peter doubts. How does Jesus respond? He he could have gone, I've told you over and over again, not to doubt. This is what happens. Peace out. I got 11 more. That's not what happened. No. As soon as Peter begins to doubt, what does Jesus do? He reaches his hand out to catch him. And at the same time, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And here's where we begin to gain some insight into Jesus and the imitation of Jesus. Peter trusted Jesus, he responded to his invitation, but he started to doubt when he th- thought things might not work out. Right? I mean, that's us. Peter, he looks at the wind, he sees the waves, and suddenly he becomes afraid and he begins to doubt. And this is us. Again, this is such a big deal because when we look at the whole idea of following Jesus and what God has called us to do, what God has called us to not do, what we've been called to believe in, and then we look out at the real world and we think, I'm not sure this is working out. Therefore, since it's not working out, I'm not sure that it's worth it. And since I'm not sure that it's worth it, I might convince myself it's not even true. Because if it's not true, then I don't even need to try. For some of you, you you became a Christian. For most of you, you became a Christian. Probably most of you, at some point, you got baptized. Uh, Maybe you got connected to uh, another group of Christians. And you began to read, you began to study, and you began showing up. And you were just like so excited and so thrilled and so pumped about your faith. Maybe you began reading the New Testament. Your faith began to grow. And then what happened? Real life. Real life began to happen. And he began to look around and you began to have the same thought as Peter. I'm not sure this is working out. I'm still facing some of the same circumstances. I'm still facing some of the same struggles. Life is not going the direction I feel it should be going. My relationship or my lack of relationship is not going the direction I feel it should be going. My financial world, my health, whatever it is, this was not my plan. I have prayed, I have prayed, I have prayed. And things are not working out like I thought they would. I'm not sure it's worth it. I'm not sure it's true. Jesus says to Peter, why, "Why did you doubt?" And Peter would say, "Because suddenly I looked around and I wasn't sure it was going to work out." To which Jesus would say, "It's okay. It's okay to not see exactly how things are going to work out. You you don't have to be limited by your understanding." you can still trust. Don't give in to doubt. And then sometime later, Jesus gives us a second insight into why it's so important not to doubt. Jesus, he's just performed a minor miracle and just in front of the 12 disciples. And I say minor because again, Lazarus, that would be big. And, but this, there's this little one and they're all like, wow, that's incredible. And Jesus like, this was no big deal. Like you think it's a big deal. This was no big deal. And then Jesus says something that has been so misconstrued and misinterpreted by preachers and name it, claim it, theologian stupidity. But here's what he says to the apostles, just to the twelve. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, meaning if you continue to have confidence and behave and respond to God as if God is who he says he is and will do what he has promised to do, if you'll ask... Uh, if you'll risk continuing to obey and not doubt, Jesus makes this promise to these guys that is so important to us. If you have faith and do not doubt, you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. Now, in our Western American way of thinking, here's how we read that. If, so if I have enough faith, I can get God to do whatever I want God to do. This never crossed the mind of the disciples. These are men that were raised with the Torah. They were raised with an Old Testament view of God. They never for a moment thought prayer was somehow about talking God into doing things that he wasn't already planning to do. So they did not hear Jesus say, hey, come up with an idea, pray about it, have enough faith, and that will get God to do your bidding. That never crossed their mind. That's Western thinking. That's magic. That's name it, claim it, stupidity. They had more respect for God than that. Jesus' point was simply this. You think moving a mountain is a big deal? It's not that big a deal. You think walking on water is a big deal? It's not that big a deal. This is what's a big deal. That you have no idea. You have no idea what God is willing and about to do in and through you if you're willing to trust him even when you have every reason in the world that you think to doubt don't allow doubt to take you out because if you do you will miss out on what god has for you Jesus' promise was this is that god is doing something big in the world and whatever god invites you into to be a part of god will give you what is needed if You will continue to follow and trust me. You have no idea what I'm willing to do in and through you. Because what you see me doing, he said to them, is nothing compared to what I am about to do. And I want you guys to be there for it. Now there's a third situation the disciples find themselves in, and this is the big one. This really is foundational and core to the Christian faith. Because in this circumstance the disciples' doubt almost caused them to disappear from history. They were on the edge of, is it worth it? Is it true? And if they'd allowed their doubt to overwhelm them in this circumstances, you would have never heard the names of Peter, Andrew, James, or John. Christianity would have been brought to us by an entirely different group of individuals. The circumstances, and again, this scripture is so fundamental to our Christian faith and our willingness and our ability to follow and trust and obey Jesus. Uh, Jesus has just done this big miracle with the fish and the loaves. He's fed thousands of people. Uh, For some, it may have been days or weeks since they had had a full stomach. Because food was just so hard to come by in this context. So the same thing in that culture as ours. I mean, you provide food, people will show up. I mean, bacon Sunday, Father's Day here, right? It was packed. Like, people just come for bacon. So the next day... These people who had been fed, now they're trying to goad him into giving them more food and to feed them. And Jesus, he's trying to take the imagery of, of bread and help connect the dots. and Like, I gave you this kind of bread, and this satisfies you temporarily, but I'm coming to give you a different kind of bread that like gives you life and true life and lasting life. And so he's using this strange language. And then he says something, you, you, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And, and of course, he's just trying to be creative in his communication. Uh, bread and water is temporary life. I want to give you eternal life. So again, he's trying to be creative, but the crowd is so literal. And, and there are people in the crowd that don't like Jesus. And so you've got people in the crowd, and they're just trying to find a, a quote from Jesus to make a hashtag on social media to discredit him. And so they begin to throw out these questions like, who is this guy? Like, well, who is this guy? And he's telling us that supposedly to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And, and suddenly the crowd starts to stir. They do not like this teaching. In fact, John, who was there, he tells us on hearing it, many of his disciples, not the 12, but the larger crowd that followed Jesus everywhere, uh, they said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And then a few verses later, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. the, The crowd was critical to Jesus because the crowd served as the buffer between Jesus and the ones that wanted to arrest Jesus and take him out. In fact, they're always trying to separate Jesus from the crowd. That's why they arrest Jesus at night, because there was no crowd. So Peter and Andrew, James, John, Matthew, I mean, all these guys, they're watching, and the crowd is beginning to disperse, and they begin to wonder, is it worth it? Is it true? Is it worth it? Is it true? Because Things have gone our way for the past year or so. We've been like rock stars, and uh, and suddenly we're losing the crowd. Is it worth it? And Jesus is kind of using this crazy talk of like eat his flesh and drink his blood, and he said some other strange things as well. Is it true? Is it worth it? Is it true? And the twelve, Jesus's closest followers, they now consider leaving Jesus. But can you imagine? They have no idea. They have no idea what hangs in the balance of their decision. They had no idea that God had something for them far more extraordinary than walking on water or moving mountains. I mean, again, we water ski, we wakeboard, and you get enough explosives and yellow machinery. We can move any mountain. Not that big a deal. That's nothing. Jesus has chosen this specific group of individuals to literally change the world. But they have no idea. They have no idea what hung in the balance. And they are on the verge of of joining the crowd as they sit there and they ask themselves, is it worth it? Is it true? Should we step back and disappear with the crowd? What do we do? And then Jesus turns to the twelve. Pardon me, he reads it like turned on the twelve. But he turns to the twelve and maybe he turns to you and says, "You, you do not want to leave too. Do you? Hey guys, eye contact. You guys aren't thinking about leaving too are you it's like they're so busted they know better than to lie to jesus and that's exactly what they're trying to decide and and this is this has gotten hard jesus and we're not sure that it's worth it and we're we're not sure that we understand everything that you're saying and, and we so we're not sure that it can all be true but peter in that moment he sees through the mist and the fog and he gives us the question he gives us a question we, should, we, can't, we can't lose sight of when we're wrestling with, is it worth it? Is it true? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? I want us to read that together, that part. Lord, to whom shall we go? Ready? Lord, to whom shall we go? One more time. Lord, to whom shall we go? Now I want to change the, the we to I because again, this is, This is the question. Ready. To whom shall I go? Again, to whom shall I go? That's the question. That's the question you have to bring to bear every time you face fear or face doubt. Because doubt is going to come. You don't ask for it. You don't invite it. But eventually, if not right now, you're going to face a circumstance or a series of circumstances or a season of circumstance in which doubt is going to begin to rise up and it's going to begin to needle you. Is it worth it? Is it true? Is it worth it? Is it true? And listen, the questions are valid. Every every, is it true should be addressed. Because again, we don't need to be afraid of that. And oftentimes, doubt leads to curiosity, as we said, and curiosity leads to discovery. And all that is positive, but the question cuts through the mist and the fog when doubt begins to rise up. Because when it comes to Jesus, your Savior, the question is, if I'm not going to follow Jesus, who am I going to follow? If I'm not going to follow Jesus, what am I going to follow? If not Jesus, who... If not Jesus, what? And Peter in that moment, he had the presence of mind. Guys, before we go, we better know where we're going. If not Jesus, who? If not Jesus, what? And, and again, this is true of us as well. That before we go, we need, we need to know. Because no matter what age or stage or marital status of life that you're in, if you decide to turn away from Jesus, by default you are turning towards Something else. And if you're not sure it's worth it, if you're not sure it's true, if you take a step back, not looking at what you're stepping back into or onto or towards, that is a risky decision. And you're risking your future. You're risking your life. And and many of us, we have stories, we have stories of regret of when we decided to take a step back from Jesus because we wanted what we wanted when we wanted it and it ended in pain or it ended in regret it may have ended in a broken relationship it may have ended into financial debt because when you step away from following Jesus again by default you're stepping towards someone or something else it's okay to question it's okay to read it's okay to wonder it's not okay to wander The question that will lock you in as you debate and think and read and learn and wrestle and discover, the question is, if not Jesus, to whom shall I go? I'll read, I'll wonder, but I will not wander. I will not go until I can answer the question, to whom shall I go? Hey, Peter, Peter, is it worth it? Not right now. Peter, is it true? I'm beginning to have doubts. Peter, is this all going to work out? I'm not so sure. Is it going to be worth it to follow this guy? I, I, I'm not sure, but I'm not going to go until I absolutely know to whom shall I go. Here's the thing. Doubt whispers, is it true? Jesus whispers, if not me, who? Peter says to Jesus what the whole group knew. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Nobody else is offering us eternal life or giving us any assurance about what's on the other side. You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe, we have seen too much that you to know that you are the Holy One of God. We're not sure whether it's going to be ultimately worth it or if it's true, but we know enough to know that nobody's made us a better offer. Nobody has loved us better. And until we know who we're going to follow, we're not going anywhere. And Jesus answered him, you ain't seen nothing yet, bro. Yeah, okay, that's not there. But Jesus had to be thinking that. I mean, they're surrounded by several hundred people that are just kind of wishy-washy. I'm not sure it's worth it. Not sure it's true. And, and Jesus is leaning in and say, guys, guys, if you stay with me, you have no idea what I'm about to do in and through you. Is it going to be worth it? Are you kidding me? People are going to name... They're children after you, and this Nero guy—they're going to name their dogs after him. Like people are going to name your children, and you're going to write best-selling books. You're going to see things that people only dream of. You are literally going to change the world. And in fact, two thousand years from now, people in a land that you know nothing about, with scientific and medical and technological advances you can't even begin to imagine, will be talking about you and having their lives shaped. By what you write down and document about this whole experience. All they knew in that moment is what you and I know in our moment. I'm not sure it's worth it, but to whom shall I go? I'm not sure that it's all true, but to whom shall I go? And the amazing thing is that they stayed doubters right to the resurrection of Jesus. When he was arrested, they all abandoned him, but after the resurrection, of Jesus, these same doubters just poured into the streets of Jerusalem and said, You crucified the Son of Man, but He has been raised from the dead. You killed Him. God raised Him. We've seen Him. Say you're sorry. And suddenly they knew it was worth it. And they knew it was true. And God used those same doubters to bring the gospel to us in the 21st century Western world. The story of Jesus. And I can't help but think that they thought back uh, after the resurrection, that day on that hillside, and thought, oh my gosh, look what we almost gave up on. Look what we almost walked away from. Look what we would have missed out on. What if we had walked away? We got so close. And the foundation of their faith became the foundation of our faith, which is not the teachings and the miracles of Jesus. The foundation of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus. And then the resurrection gives credibility to everything He said and did and taught and claimed and commanded. And you will never know what God would have done in your life and through your life if you allow doubt to take you out of the equation. In your life, in your business life, in your personal life, in your, in your future relationship, in your singleness, in your, with your kids or your grandkids. You know, you're single and you're trying to be a single Christian and do it the right way and live with uh, sexual integrity, but everyone else seems to be having a great time and everything seems to be working out for them and not for you. But you just know in your heart, you just know in your heart how God wants you to manage your, your morality and your singleness and your sexual integrity but you're beginning to wonder, is it worth it? Is it true? Maybe you're generous. You give You give out into the community, give to other people. Maybe you're generous and you give here financially and you're partnering with us. To, you know, do something crazy like planting a church or our efforts to, to serve out in the community like this next Thursday. And then you do your taxes and you see that number and go, man, think of all the other things I could do with this money. And you begin to wonder, is it worth it? Is it true? You'll never know if you allow doubt to take you out. Uh, Shauna and I celebrated 30 years of of marriage this last June. And uh, most of them happy. And uh, (laughs) mainly because of me, the non-happy. But here's the thing. There were so many times in our relationship, especially in the first half, where we just had those moments. We're looking at each other. Is it worth it? And just wrestling with, okay, here's, here's what we believe about God, and when we read what Jesus says, and what Paul says about love, and, and Peter, about not returning insult for insult, but blessing, and do this, because this, we've been called, it's like, all right, God, I don't know if it's true, but I'm going to apply it. And then even a fear for our 25th is like one of my best memories of, of us being in South Carolina, and... Uh, sitting in a little French restaurant in the morning and laughing for hours at all the things that tried to take us out. Because there were those moments. Is it worth it? Is it true? We all have these moments and seasons. And that's when you have to ask the Peter question. Whom shall I go? To whom shall I go? I'm starting to wrestle with, is it worth it? Is it true? To whom shall I go? You have no idea what or who hangs in the balance of your decision. To lock in your faith with your Heavenly Father who loves you. Who loves you. You have no idea what you'll miss out on if you allow doubt to take you out. So that's the five commandments that make no sense if there isn't a resurrection. They are impossible to do other than with the indwelling presence of God by His Spirit in our lives, fear not, even when there's something to be afraid of. Sin not, because your Savior died for you, and every sin comes with a pre packaged penalty and consequence. Worry not, because your Heavenly Father knows exactly what you need. Judge not, because love does not size people off and write them off, and love does not size people up and walk away. Just like your heavenly father didn't size you up and write you off or walk away. And last, doubt not. Because you have no idea what God wants to do in and through you. And, And the reason we can embrace these not commands is because of who gave them. Jesus, the resurrected, risen from the dead, son of God, whose resurrection gave credibility to everything he said about himself and commanded us to do. And if just the Christians in our community would take their cue from our spiritual grandparents, the ones who gave their lives to make sure that the good news was passed on to us, if we began to take these commands seriously under the canopy of the great commandment to love one another as Jesus loved us, it would change our individual worlds and our community, our city. It changed the entire world once and it can change it again.